This is Ryan Van Duzer, and you are listening to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast. Welcome to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Discover the inspiring stories of the average and not-so-average runners. And they're off. Hey there. Hello. How's it going? Welcome to Gotta Run Racing. (laughs) How about that UTMB? How about it? I was glued to YouTube. That coverage is incredible, number one. Yeah, it's got really good. Number two, I was glued. I, like, I couldn't turn it off, especially when people started crossing the finish line. And Courtney DeWalter is just in another planet. Unbelievable she performance. Probably, she beams herself down and yeah. <laughs> yeah. just goes. She looks so fresh at the end there, yeah. just smiling the whole time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. It was so exciting to watch. And what's in the water in France where the top five <laughs> men yeah. from France come in it's like exactly whatever they're drinking i want it well maybe they had the time off during the pandemic and all they did was train train, train, because it was a pretty epic epic showing and we might have a canadian (laughs) on a future podcast who participated this year who just finished and uh, can't wait to get her take on that her Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) don't give it away Cool. So what's happening in the world of Gotta Run Racing? Gotta Run Racing. Exciting. It's Island Lake Classic. We are in countdown mode this Labor Day Monday. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about that. And the Monarch's still going to be coming soon. Yes. Monarch is less than three weeks away. The relay. Virtual is available still. And we yeah, run. check it out. Yeah. And we run the north. Mm-hmm. Still Heading happening. into a new province, new park. In a couple of days, couple actually. Of, what's today? 31st, tomorrow. Wow, new park yeah, tomorrow. That's right. And Don't ask me which one. <laughs> I've been too busy doing uh, Island Lake race stuff. <laughs> that's We Run the North Virtual. Yes. And then a rainbow is happening. Rainbow Virtual. Virtual. Yeah, and Coyote Virtual. And Coyote Virtual. Mm-hmm. Jeez, all kinds of things going on. Exactly. Cool. So who's on the podcast today? Well, we got a goodie for you. <laughs> Ryan Van Duzer from Colorado. Duzer TV. That's right. If you ever checked him out on YouTube. Just punch in Doozer TV. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure you've watched one of his videos without even realizing it. Yeah. But he has quite the... It's funny because when I first started watching his stuff, I didn't realize he was so into cycling. I thought he was a runner first. But he is a runner first. But he's done tons of epic cycling, including riding from Honduras to Colorado. He's ridden across the States a few times, from Maine to Key West, Cuba. Can the Great Divide? He then he's done uh, Oregon to New York City. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. It just goes on and on. It and goes on. on and on and on. And I just can't wait to hear all about it. And he just finished Leadville, which I can't wait to hear yes. because Leadville has a place in my heart. So just let's get to it. Let's get to it. Coming up, it's you. <laughs> it's you. I know you. <laughs> How you doing? Great. Excellent. I'm doing great. I just walked in my door. Sorry. No. Ooh worries were you out for a bike ride i was riding my bike but not like a bike ride i was actually at scott jurek's house filming him for a video sweet yeah who's that not to name names yeah, no, <laughs> he's just some small time runner guy <laughs> are you neighbors he's pretty close he's like a seven minute bike ride away nice well welcome to the podcast ryan van duzer 
Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Before we uh, get into everything, I just want to give you a quick story. About five or six years ago, I reread Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And I got excited again. So I went on YouTube and I, and I started searching all these videos about uh, the race down in the Carver Canyons and all that. And I came across a, a video about a bunch of friends who took a bus down <laughs> to Mexico to do the Cabo Blanco Ultra. And at that time, there was a war going on in the canyons and it didn't happen. And I thought that was just a a cool documentary. And then two days ago, (laughs) I happened to watch some of your older videos. And there it is, the freaking video that I saw five or six years ago. And it was you. Isn't that funny? You're like, oh, I just put it together. He's the weirdo (laughs) that took buses all the way down there. (laughs) That was you. And here we are in a full circle, finally getting to chat. And then it's amazing that I've, I've actually been watching your videos for a lot of this time, five or six years. <laughs> That's so cool. It makes me happy. And I know, I think that one of the first videos I ever watched was you at Havelina because I went to Havelina in 2019 and did the 100K. So oh, you did. Very cool. Uh, that's one of my favorite races ever. Right? <laughs> it they do is, a good job with that race. That's a lot they of fun. sure do. They sure do. For sure. So let's uh, start at the beginning, I guess. And and the beginning for you, aside from how you got into running, but the beginning for you was obviously getting into your um, YouTube channel. So you started in broadcast journalism. Yep. And can you tell everybody who hasn't heard the story how you transitioned from that into being the uh, the social media icon you are now? <laughs> I don't know about icon, but uh, I'm trying, I'm getting there. Anyway, so yeah, I got a degree in broadcast journalism. Ever since I was a young boy, I loved telling stories. And I thought journalism would be a great place to, to learn and hone my skills in storytelling. And I did broadcast journalism, which essentially teaches you how to be like a local news anchor. Mm-hmm. And I did an internship at the local station in Denver. And it was fun and exciting to be like on a TV set, but it wasn't really what I liked. It was, you know, if you watch local news, it's kind of depressing. It's sad. They report on a lot of just stuff that doesn't put a smile on your face. And I wanted to make happy news. I wanted to make inspirational news. And um, I didn't quite know what to do from there. So after I graduated college, I joined the Peace Corps and lived in Honduras for two years. Nice. It was an amazing experience. I worked with at-risk youth. I've worked with Mexican immigrant youth for a lot of my my life, and I, I loved the experience. And when I finished my service in Honduras, and instead of getting on an airplane and flying home like a lot of the other volunteers, I cashed in my ticket, bought a bike, and rode a bicycle home to Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> and I filmed that adventure with my little Sony Handycam. And I, when I got home, I edited together like a little five minute, you know, short teaser of the trip. And from that moment on, I was like, I want to do this. I want to travel the world and tell stories. And I want to show the audiences around the world, how amazing people are really. I love connecting with the humans that I meet. You know, it's fun to see 
beautiful landscapes, but it's really the people around the world that excite me. And so that's a very quick and dirty explanation <laughs> of how I became a YouTuber and not a local news anchor. And so now <laughs> as a YouTuber, I essentially document my adventures, whether mm -hmm. they're running or biking, with the hopes of inspiring people to get off their couches and challenge themselves. Well, you've certainly done that. Um, what were the early years like on YouTube? Because I don't even remember when I first started watching YouTube. It just feels like it's always been a part of of our society, even though we know it hasn't. But what yeah, was YouTube it like? nowadays is kind of like Netflix. It's any like any other streaming platform. You know, you go there to watch good quality content. Yes. But the early days of YouTube were not that. It was <laughs> a lot of short, grainy videos, bad quality of like you know, just snippets of people's lives for like, you know, 15, 20 second videos. When I first first started doing YouTube, it was 2006 and YouTube started in 2005. Wow. And um, it was just a place where I would make videos and put them on there. And back then, I don't even think there were subscribers. There was no such thing as building up a channel. It was just a place to put random web videos. Right. And so that was kind of the beginning of, of YouTube. So I guess I've been a YouTuber for a long, long time, but I didn't start taking it seriously until about five years ago. Okay. So I did work in the TV world. I worked for the Travel Channel and other networks, you know, doing what my dream was to travel the world and, and share stories with people. Um, but I really wanted more control over my own content. And I wanted to tell the stories that I felt uh, were important. And that's when I got into YouTube about five years ago, sort of documenting my adventures and slowly building up my channel. Do you always do your own editing, Ryan? I do. Every yeah. single video you've seen of mine, I edited. Yes. Wow. And <laughs> have you figured out, like, let's say for a half an hour of content, how long that takes you or how much video you're going through in order to produce that? I'm just curious. Yeah, I get that question a lot. It's hard to calculate. You know, it's definitely creating a Good quality video is a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. So as far as the amount of time and how, how it equates to a, you know, a, a finished product, I don't really know. But I mean, you know, whenever I film an adventure, I have three different cameras. I have a drone, mm -hmm. I have a GoPro, and then I have like my beauty camera that I use for like, you know, beauty shots and interviews and stuff. So you have, you know, three different cameras, lots of different footage. You try to put them all together. You're stacking music in there to build some emotion. Then you have like all the text and the titles and stuff. And then you try to make a coherent story that's entertaining. And mm -hmm. so all that just takes a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, creativity and brain power. And it's, it's, it's a long process, but I love it. Awesome. Awesome. We're just starting out in YouTube ourselves. So what advice do you give to beginners? Beginners like yeah. us who are just starting out. What's, what's the one advice you can give? I always tell people just to keep at it because everybody gets excited. I'm going to be a YouTuber and I'm going to become big like everybody else. And then you make like five or 10 videos and they don't get many views and you give it up. You know, that happens a lot. I see that all the time. Yeah. It's just to stick with it. Like every single video you make is, is amazing. But the next video is going to be a little bit better and then a little bit better and then a little bit better. And I feel the same way about my videos today. Every video I make is a little bit better than the previous video. So you're constantly learning. And it's a really fun process. So right. yeah, you might not be getting the views that you're hoping to get, but you as a creator, as an artist, you are getting better at it. 
And that's, mm-hmm. that's great. And someday the audience will come. You, you know, you make a video and it has your first video ever on YouTube and it has 10 views. But then those 10 people each tell one person. So your next video has a few more views mm-hmm. and then you have to 20, 30, 50. And it slowly builds. Like my first videos on YouTube did not get many views at all. And I put my heart and soul into all of them. <laughs> and, and you're wondering why. <laughs> yeah, it was discouraging. Cause like, oh, I, how, why am I putting so much work into something mm-hmm. that doesn't really have results, quantitative results, but really you're getting better. You're becoming a better storyteller and an artist. And those are skills that I think, uh, you know, can help you throughout all different aspects of life. Right. Let's talk about Doozer TV then. So your first film you did was Honduras. How long after did you mm-hmm. start making that part of your my YouTube channel, basically biking across? What was your first one or the next one after Honduras? And how did that, then you got the idea, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So yeah, the first video was the Honduras video. And then I wanted to find a way to get paid to travel, essentially. <laughs> so I think that's everybody's dream, right? And at the time, YouTube wasn't really a way to make money way back in 2005, six, seven, at least for me. And so I worked for a local public access station here in Boulder. Um, you know, in public access, you've probably all seen Wayne's World. You know, it's along those lines where everybody can have a public access show. Nobody's really making money on it. But it's just a way to practice your 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 art, whatever you want to call it. And so my next video series was riding my bike from Maine to Key West, down mm-hmm. the eastern coast of the United States. And for that, I wrote weekly articles for the local newspaper mm. in Boulder. So that's really what paid me, not the videos. Right. And for each article, I got fifty dollars. So I was <laughs> rolling in the money. <laughs> um, but it was a start. It gave me a voice. And again, it was practice. You know, like yes. it takes time to get good at what you're doing. And then it takes time for people to say, okay, this is, this would provide value to my magazine or newspaper or brand. I'll pay you X amount of money. And it takes mm-hmm. a while to build up that name. For sure. And speaking of um, bike adventures, and you've named a few, but before, so we'll transition now into some of them, but just for our audience who, who may not be familiar uh, you cycled across Cuba. You cycled yep. from Boulder, Colorado to Burning Man, which was a thousand mm-hmm. miles. Yep. You cycled from Vancouver, Washington to Cabo San Lucas. No or- way, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you rode a cruiser bike along the U.S. Yep. promoting bicycle advocacy. Yep. And that first ride was from Honduras was not just, oh, I'm just going to ride home. It was 4,000 miles, 6,000 kilometers. That's crazy. So how do you, you've done some pretty epic things, but how do you now choose the next bike adventure? Because obviously within North America and Central and South America, there's so many things you could, you could do that for. And how do you choose? What, What are the parameters? Hey guys, if you like what you're hearing so far, give us a like and follow our social media. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find all that at gotterunracing.com. Did you know the monarch butterfly is the ultra runner of the insect world? Covering over 4,000 kilometers every year during their migration from Mexico to Canada. Is that what they mean when they say the butterfly effect? That was a weird movie. 
we've launched the Monarch Ultra Virtual 10K. You can run, walk, hike, bike, or flap your wings virtually anytime, any place. You'll receive a beautiful two-sided medal featuring a stunning Monarch, as well as a custom neck gaiter, all while supporting Camp Kawartha in Peterborough. Our goal is to have 430 participants across North America, each completing 10K, representing the collective distance of the Monarch's migration. Sprint to GottaRunRacing.com for more details. Now, back to the show. I try to choose things that I'm personally excited about and passionate about. I love Latin America. I love speaking Spanish. You know, I lived in Honduras for two years. I've lived in Mexico. So when I'm in those countries, I feel alive. And it's, uh, it's fun for me to travel through those places. And you really get to meet the salt of the earth when you're just on a bike on little roads in the middle of nowhere. And you meet some farmer who invites you into his house and feeds you dinner. And you have these <laughs> amazing connections that you'll never forget. So for me, I pick adventures that sound interesting and places that I know that I can, I can learn something, you know, Cuba was fascinating. Mm. You know, you Canadians can get into Cuba, no problem, but for us, it's <laughs> always been an issue. So I always wanted to go to this, you know, this place called Cuba that our media has told us is bad and communism is bad. And you know, I wanted to explore what it was all about. And Cuba is one of the most fascinating places I've ever been. And I've, I learned a lot about that country. And I learned a lot about the people. And it's a very gentle, kind society. And it's the safest country I've ever been to in Latin America, <laughs> by far, by yes. far. You know, I've traveled all over Mexico and Central America. And you're always looking over your shoulder because I've been robbed a few times in Central America. And it's very scary. Sure. That stuff does not happen in Cuba. And it's because of communism. If you do anything <laughs> wrong in that society, you get punished big time. So right. people don't act out. There are big consequences for being a bad guy in Cuba. <laughs> How were you received there by the people? They were they were all very curious about me. At first, they thought I was either European or from mm. some other Spanish-speaking country because my Spanish is pretty good. But when I told them I was American, they're like, oh, no way. Let's sit down and have a talk. You know, they have a lot to say. You know, I, I stayed in Guantanamo one night on my bike trip with this wonderful family there. And obviously, Guantanamo is where the United States has a base. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have anything bad to say. They didn't rip on Americans. I don't think they love, you know, what has happened between our governments and the sanctions. But they just wanted to know what life was like and yeah. what's it like out there. Because a lot of Cubans have obviously relatives in the United States, a lot of them do, Yeah, you know, so they just, um, they know a little bit about the United States, but not a ton. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was fast. Every single day in Cuba, I stayed with a different family. That's just how you do it. You yeah. rent people's rooms for like 20 bucks. And so I, it was like, I had a host family all the way across the country and got to meet all these wonderful people. Did you get to see all the fifties uh, and sixties American cars in Havana? Yeah, it's great if you're a car. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if you're into those cars, I mean, it's like being in an open air museum. It really is. Amazing. All the cars, all the buildings are old and classical looking, and it's it's fascinating. It's like going into a time capsule. Yeah, absolutely. Our favorite video is when you went from Oregon to New York City because you spent two hundred miles going through Canada. That's stopping right. At, stopping at Tim Hortons and then Niagara <laughs> yep. Falls. And have you ever thought about doing the Trans Canada Trail? 
I have, you know, that would be, I think that would be amazing. It'd be beautiful. It's so much beautiful country, but also, you know, it's nice and long. It'd be a good, like full summer adventure. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've been to lots of places in Canada, but I'd love to to travel a little bit more up there. Well, if you ever do the Canada Trail, we'll definitely through Toronto, we'll, we'll hook up and we'll follow yeah, you. Along. We'll find you places to stay <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be amazing. I've always, all the Canadians I've ever met are, are really amazing. And if you've been watching some of my videos, I've been traveling with a Canadian guy here and there who has a dog with him. And, uh, you know, he's become a fan favorite on my channel. They live in Canmore. Oh, okay. Mm. Yes. Um, and I, I also want oh, to mention- Terry Fox. Terry Fox is my favorite Canadian. That's what I was just <laughs> going to say. I appreciated your ode to Terry when you were talking about, you know, on the, his on trail, the trail on and, his trail, and yeah. what he went through. And obviously to runners and non-runners, he is our biggest hero yeah. because you yeah. think about what he did and it's just unfathomable. Even as ultra runners, I can't fathom it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really incredible. And a lot of Americans don't know that story. It's true. It's yeah. it's kind of a Canadian thing. And luckily, I don't know how I found out about it, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those stories. Every time I watch any snippets of footage from it, I get tears in my eyes. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. Well, because of Terry Fox is a runner, let's let's get into running. Yeah. yeah let's talk about running. Let's do it. When or why did you uh, start running? I have been a runner since I was a little kid. Um you know, I, you know, everybody goes to my channel and it's a lot of bike packing, but really running is my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. And I started running at an early age and I don't really know why, but I was, I was good at it in gym class. I was always the fastest kid and it's fun to be number one. And I remember <laughs> our little elementary school had a, a yearly race in May called the mile marathon. And it was a one mile race. And I took that race as seriously as an Olympic athlete would take the Olympics. and I trained and got ready for it and you know and it was really important to me to win that race and so from that point on I just loved running and when I was younger I was way more competitive like it was all about winning through Mm -hmm. middle school and high school but then I stopped winning I wasn't as fast other kids caught up to me you know and from that point on running for me has just been a way for exercise to explore to be out in nature to connect with myself, to connect with other runners. I love the energy at races. You all know this. It's supportive and fun. It's like a big family. Yes. So I have, I'm very grateful that I've been a runner ever since I was like five years old. Right. I didn't get into ultras until about 2013. Mm. I had done a few marathons. I'd done the New York City Marathon and the Copenhagen Marathon. Um, and that was you know, hard. That seemed to me like as far as I ever needed to go, 26 <laughs> miles, 42 kilometers. And uh, then, but then I went to Burning Man and Burning Man's a big festival type thing out in the uh, deserts near Reno, Nevada. Uh-huh. And they have an ultra marathon out there called the Burning Man Ultra. And I ran that race. It was only a 50 K. So not much further than a marathon, but I loved it. And I loved, again, it was the people and it was the culture behind it all. And that really just sucked me in. And then I met these ultra runners that do all these other races. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come to your race over here and I'll try this race. And then I read Born to Run. And (laughs) Born to Run inspired me to want to go down to the Copper Canyons 
and run the Caballo Blanco race. Right. And I ran that race. And that for me, that was 50 miles. And that was like, oh my God, this is going to be the craziest day of my life. I can't imagine running 50 miles, <laughs> but I did it. And it was awesome. And then my friends at that race were like, well, now you have to try a hundred mile race. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I was like, no, that just sounds crazy. hundred miles. That's too much. But, you know, six months later, there I was on the starting line of the Havelina 100. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the rest is history. I think ultra runners uh, have a um, have some sort of thing where if if I can convince someone to do a long race, like a 50K or an 80K, then it's their obligation to now bring someone else in and so <laughs> on and so on, because we just we just don't seem to ever find that limit right? There, there really is no limit, especially what's been going on nowadays with crossing countries. And I think Dean Karnas just crossed Australia wow. recently. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, there's no end to it. And, yeah. and that's pretty cool. <laughs> and running is just a simple sport. You know, I love biking, but there's so much gear involved with bike pack. You know, with running, all you need is shoes, you know, yeah. and that's what I love about it. It's accessible to everybody. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to live in a certain area. You don't need like a football field, like a football player, player needs to practice on a, like an actual field. Like you can run out your door anywhere you live. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about it. Were there any surprises in your first hundred miler that you weren't expecting or at, at Havelina? At Havelina? Yeah. Havelina. I was, um, the first 50 or so miles I was happy and jolly. It's, it's all in the video. And then it just, I kind of hit a wall. And what was hard for me and what I didn't realize is that you really have to like constantly be eating the whole time. <laughs> and I just, I wasn't doing that because there are many times where you're just not hungry, mm. but if you're not putting calories into your body, you know, you bonk and you, you just hit the wall. And that's what happened to me in my first hundred. And it became, it became a death march very quickly. And it's hard once you hit that to recuperate and get the calories back in and get your body recharged. Yeah. Um, but another great thing about the hundreds is that there is time to recover. It's such a long race. There's so many hours involved that, yeah, you can have a really bad 10 miles, but you can also recover and like finish strong. Right. Did you do like, what kind of training did you do for Havelina being that it's a desert race and you're living in uh, high altitude? That, that must've been interesting. Yeah. You know, I've always been bad at training. <laughs> you know, I, I should train a lot more than I do for these races. I went into that first Havelina very undertrained, mm. and, you know, I have great mountains right out my window right here. Um, and it does get hot here in the summer too. So we do have some heat training, but for me, I mean, I just, what I should have done is, is just been on my feet more time mm. on feet is really important. Whether, you know, even hiking can be beneficial. Yeah. And um, I just didn't do a lot of that. And because, you know, your body's, your legs aren't used to the pounding of a hundred miles. That's right. That'll, that'll get anybody if you're not well-trained. Well, I'm sure some of those red, red blood cells helped you out once you got to uh, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A little bit of high altitude training going down a little bit lower. Yeah. Would you ever wear a full costume at uh, Avelina one day when you, you could go back? I, I never have worn a full costume. Yeah, no, I haven't worn a full costume, although I should. I mean, that race is all about costumes and fun. It yeah. sure is. <laughs> well, you went from the desert 
Evelina to <laughs> the mountains of Leadville. What made you yeah. choose Leadville? And I'm I'm wearing a Leadville hat for you, just in yeah. There. I saw that. <laughs> I love it, Leadville. You got you're wearing uh, you know clothing for my two favorite races. <laughs> Leadville was like again going back to Born to Run, the book. Leadville was always this iconic race, yeah, and it was almost mythical. When you read it in this book, it's like, well, I got to do that someday. And it's a home, it's a home state race. It's a few hours away from Boulder. I don't need to fly an airplane to get there. So it was nice to like do something close by. And that's kind of why I chose to do Leadville and also challenge myself with a mountain ultra to see how I could do up at high altitude. The entire race is above 10,000 feet. And um, that's, that presents a lot of challenges. And, sure does. Uh, that's essentially why I did it. I wanted to just see see what it was all about, see what Hope Pass was all about, <laughs> and, uh, feel that energy. <laughs> well, you were smart to go to the training camp because that's what, when I first did Leadville because of Born to Run. I I DNF'd in 2010, um, and then I got smart, and then it took me four years to go back. But I did the training camp first because I wanted to be able to run with people who actually finished this race <laughs> so what was your strategy going into the camp of Leadville yeah the camp was great again just like you I was like I knew that I needed to see some of the course to get some miles um, on my feet and meet other people and that really was the best part was meeting all the other people and again it's the energy it's the, it's the fun it's the, it's the su support you get and so the camp to me I think was invaluable and learning to see what the course was like, mm -hmm. but also realizing, okay, this is the real deal. Like you need to train a lot for this race, <laughs> the rest of the summer. Like this is a focus right here. <laughs> I was able to run with uh, two-time winner, Lynette Clemens, actually. She mm -hmm. won in 09 and 11, I do believe. So I ran 50K with her and all I did was pick her brain. <laughs> For 50K, cool. just picked her brain. <laughs> so a shout yep. out to her. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there are some pretty amazing runners that go to the camp that are all about just helping you out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Take us, uh, take us to the day of uh, how did you feel going to the start line of Leadville? Let's, let's get Leadville yeah. on. Hey, guys. If you like what you're hearing so far, give us a like and follow our social media. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find all that at gotterunracing.com. Have you checked out our virtual series yet? We Run the North. Celebrating Canada's national parks features a total of 13 10 kilometer challenges, one for each province and territory. How many national parks can you name? Well, there's Algonquin, and then there's Banff, and then that's it? Anyways, medals that connect, license plate style bibs, and cool swag can be yours. Visit gotterunracing.com for more details. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Leadville was just about, what, nine days ago. Yeah, so I was excited to be up there. I loved the expo. It was fun to see everybody. Those mountains are beautiful in the summertime. And I was like, I had, you know, I felt like I was in pretty darn good shape. I had run quite a bit. I had biked quite a bit, which that doesn't necessarily translate into running, but my body felt like it was in really good shape. And, um... You know, I got to that start line and it was cold. What what I love about Javelina is that it's not cold. I love <laughs> warm weather. And it was so cold the morning of the, the race. And I was like, I oh, this that. is going to be interesting. 
Um, but just like the start line and just the sea of people and all the headlamps running by really was a magical experience. And for the first 50, 60 miles, I was in pretty good shape. Like I felt great. I was talking to people. I was running with my camera. I was filming, going through the Aspen trees and just loving all aspects of the course uh, and the, the beauty and going into twin lakes was insane. I had no idea that that was going to be such a raging party. Yes. I mean, it, it's like the tour de France when there's, you just running through tunnels of people just screaming <laughs> at you. I feed off that energy. I love that energy so much. And it was great to have my crew up there, the same, my mom and my close friends, Dana and Santa. And then Hope passes really when things got hard for me. I was like, oh man, this, this is, is really what people steep. talk about. <laughs> yeah. Hope pass was rough, but it was really cool. There's the aid station halfway up where the llamas carry all the gear up there. So it was fun to have a little bit of uh, energy up there and some food. And then Hope Pass is just stunning when you're up there. You want to hang out and catch the view, but you got to keep running. Um, so yeah, <laughs> up and down Hope Pass was was great and then coming back up and over was a grind and then by about mile 70 ish 75 is when i really started kind of hitting the wall my you know all the downhill like the hard pounding of running downhill just did a number on my quads yeah by mile 75 like i i know my body well enough i was like this is gonna be a long march initially <laughs> <laughs> And it certainly was. Luckily, I had Darcy Picue with me, who's an amazing runner. And she took good care of me and made sure that I had all the nutrition that I needed and kept me moving. And uh, and seeing that finish line at four in the morning was a beautiful sight. Wait a minute, though. I think you and skipped so good. You skipped one of your other pacers there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amelia Boone. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? How did I forget her? Well, I, yeah. So Amelia got me right after um, Twin Lakes. Right. And at that point, I still still felt, felt pretty good and it was light out and I could actually run and we were just chatting and having a great time the whole way. So I'm very fortunate that I had two amazing women on my team that day to keep me to keep me going. I want to ask you about what did you find harder going back up Hope or back up Pipeline? Oh, that's I would say back up Hope was harder. For me. Really? I found that, Pipeline. That, that <laughs> That backside of Hope is so steep, so <laughs> steep, way steeper than the front side. And that that wrecked me. Yeah. Um, and then it was like getting cloudy and thundery and a little bit of rain was coming down. And I was oh. like, oh, it's going to get ugly pretty quick. But yeah, going back up pipeline also is, is very steep, but it's just, it's so much shorter than Hope Pass. True. And what was it like having Anton Kravichka? How is it like seeing him after so many years of being absent from the ultra scene? It was cool. I was coming down Hope when he was going up and it was good to see him. And he did, he was not wearing a shirt and it was cold. I was wearing a long sleeve and he's cruising <laughs> up with no shirt on. He's like, Hey, Doozer, what's up? And I was like, wow, he looks a okay. Like nothing has phased him at all. <laughs> uh, it was really cool. And I think everybody loved seeing him out there again. It was, yeah. that was exciting for sure. And he's a bolder guy. So it's fun rooting for a, you know, a local friend. And I think he inspired a lot of people by getting back after it after such a long time off and injuries. And, you know, he's been spending a lot of time cycling as well, which is cool to see. Yeah, I listened to his podcast that he did shortly after the race. And it sounds like he's 
you know, has a different attitude towards racing now. And it's, it's a lot more, um, manageable in terms of what he can expect from his body and his previous injuries. And he just seems to be having a good time, which is great. It, It can, I'm sure it can consume those guys when they, when they are competing, but he sounded very relaxed and, and happy with his performance. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my experience with Anton is when I was going up hope and he was running down and he almost knocked me off the mountain. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he gave yeah. me one of a, a, a side body check. <laughs> like, Get out of my way. <laughs> well, he did that because you're Canadian and he expected you to, you know, you can take a couple checks because oh, yeah. everybody's a hockey player, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was, it was good to see. Everyone just got out of his way and said, good job. Keep going. Keep going. So obviously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what's next, Ryan? What have you got on the uh, agenda? I don't know. You know, I'm already dreaming of doing Leadville again, which is funny because in the moment, like those final 20 miles, I was like, I'm never doing this again. This hurts so bad. <laughs> but now that I have, you know, a week away from it, I'd love to go back and, and really finish in a way that I think that I'm capable of finishing right. you know, a much stronger race. Um, I was wondering if you ever think about, I know you probably don't, but just as a racer, your time, because you do a lot of filming along the course. And then you're thinking, oh, I just got over 24 hours. If I just didn't film this section, <laughs> you, I know that has to play in your mind. Come on. Definitely. Yeah. No. Um, also, I went the wrong way for about two miles. <laughs> oh, no. So that was 20 minutes right there for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was right <laughs> after half pipe. And I was talking with somebody and just not really paying attention, looking at the ground. And I'm running, 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 running. And then I all of a sudden noticed there was nobody around me, which is not like that rare. Sometimes there are moments where there's nobody around. And I was like, I look at the ground. I didn't see a lot of footprints on the ground. I was on like a Jeep road. So it was wide mm. and I kept running and running. And I'm like, maybe I'm going the right way. I'm just in a pocket of no people ran a little bit more. And I was like, nah, I think I went the wrong way. So I turned around and ran all the way back. And then I finally did see the turnoff to the left. And I saw other racers coming and I was like, oh man, <laughs> so mentally, mentally, that was a little bit hard to get over. It's like, oh, I just like made this hard day harder <laughs> well your yeah. time was very respectable considering yeah, it definitely was luckily <laughs> i went out fast enough that i could i mean i walked the final eight miles completely walked didn't yeah. run a step so um i'm very happy that i still got a big belt buckle um, <laughs> but yeah you know people ask me all, all the time about filming like you could go so much faster if you weren't goofing around the whole time but i kind of like it you know i like it in a way it takes my mind off the pain when I'm either talking to myself on the camera or I'm interviewing other people. Right. You know, so in a way, maybe it, it, it doesn't slow me down all that much. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Are there any other bucket list races either in Europe or uh, the States that you've eyeballed or is it just based on whatever you feel like doing at the time? Yeah, kind of, it's a little bit of both. You know, I'd love to do some of the bike iconic races out there. I, you know, I'm all about like natural beauty. So mm-hmm. I would love to go to some of the races in Switzerland or Italy, or, you know, even in Sweden and just run around those mountains. Yeah. You know, UTMB would be amazing. I love the desert. I really love the desert. So I'd like to try some more of the era Viper races in, in Arizona. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure I'll be back at Havelina hundred someday. 
What about uh, Marathon des Sables? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Through the Sahara Desert. There's um there's a lot of races popping up in Mexico, other ultra marathons mm. all throughout oh. Mexico. I love Mexico with all my heart. So any excuse to go travel somewhere cool and then run is is kind of like how I pick my races. And yeah. I'll definitely go back and do the Caballo Blanco. I've done that one now four times. Um, I love the people down there. I love the culture, um, just the energy around that race. I brought my mom to that race in 2020, right before the lockdown and the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, so that was really cool. I love sharing those experiences with people that I love. Did you get to talk to any of the Taramara runners in depth or was it um, just curious? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've gotten to know some of them throughout the years and I see the same ones. Mm. Uh, and we were, you know, we recognize one another now. And yeah, I've talked to some of them and their lives are, I mean, so, so there's like the, there's the Mexicans who live in the town of Eureka. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Tarumara who live like all in all these villages spread out throughout the canyons. Right. And the, they're, pretty different like the mexicans who live in Enrique have pretty normal lives they have nine to five jobs they have houses with electricity and tvs and the kids have video games and stuff the tarumara it's like it's much more primitive living right so they a lot, some of them live still in caves out there and they their typical dress that you see them is what they wear every day that's not like a fancy suit they put on the run yeah and you know they all wear the sandals made of the the car tires and, and leather. And um, so I've gotten to know a little bit about them and their lives. You know, I've gone now four times mm-hmm. and we've got, I've gotten to go to some of their homes uh, and see, seen what they're like. And, uh, you know, I, living in Honduras for two years, there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. uh, the people I work with in Honduras and the Tarumara. And um, it's a fascinating culture, but it's definitely, they struggle. I mean, it's been a hard five years for them. There's been a lot of drought. Right. They're not, um, they're not having the, the, you know, the, the corn yields that they're used to having. And so it's, it's tough for them down there. And so this race, the Caballo Blanco really boosts the local economy in a big mm. way, but also the way that Micah true Caballo Blanco set it up is that every runner who runs that race, the Tarumara, they get corn vouchers. So when they finish mm. the race, they get like, pretty hefty amount of corn that really helps them out with their families throughout the year. Right. So you'll see grandmas who are 65, 70 years old running in dresses down there <laughs> um, because they know like if they get to that finish line, or actually you don't even have to finish anymore. You can get to certain checkpoints and you get like a wristband mm-hmm. and each wristband correlates to a certain amount of corn vouchers. So it's important for them. It's a big deal. Seeing them reminded me of um, when Norm and I climbed the, did the hike to Machu Picchu in 2009 and our porters were of course all the locals <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, you get to chatting with them after a little while. And I, I think it was on the third, third day. And they they, uh, they said, Oh, you're, you're doing well on the mountain. And Norm said, well, I, I'm a runner. And he's like, Oh, okay. You have to meet my friend, meet my friend. And he brings along this other porter who looked like he was probably 60, but in actual fact, he was 42, (laughs) you know, because they live in harsh extremes of weather and whatnot and their lifestyles. And he held the current record for running the marathon from Cusco to Machu Picchu, which is about a marathon length and distance, which took us four days to hike. He does it in three hours. Three and three and a bit, (laughs) three and 30, I think it was. 
And his son had the second best time. (laughs) So it's just so inspiring. You know, you think of all the gear we have and all the luxuries. Totally. Totally. Uh, You know, we, we have all these like special nutrition things and our running vests and all this stuff. And they don't have any of that. And they, they drink what's called pinole, which is the crushed up cornmeal. It's, it's written about in the book Born to Run. But at the aid station, that's mostly, that's all that they take is just these little cups of cornmeal. They down it and then they just keep going. Yeah. And it's really inspiring to see how, just how simple it is for them. I mean, because mm-hmm. their lives, you know, they're always on their feet. They're either walking somewhere or running somewhere. They play a game called Rara Hippery where they're hitting the ball for yeah. like, all day, 10, 12 hours where they're hitting a ball and running after it through wow. the canyon. Wow. And it's just so like moving on their feet is just part of their culture. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. It really is. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing about biking, about the, the great divine. You have to yeah. kind of do that over again because you couldn't cross Canada. <laughs> you have to start in Ben. Are you going to do that over again? <laughs> you know, I would do the great divide, great divide again. I really love that route. It's so beautiful. And yeah, I didn't do the Banff to the border ride. And so <laughs> I got to do that Canadian section and get my Tim Hortons. You got it. You got <laughs> you it. You got to get a Tim Hortons card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A punch card. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd love to do that again, for sure. It's beautiful. Well, before we let you go, uh, where can everyone find you on your social channels or your website? We'll give you a little. Yeah, I guess if you just Google my name, Ryan Van Duzer, most things will come up. My Instagram is at Duzer, D-U-Z-E-R. Where I put most of the stuff that I care about is YouTube, and that's Duzer TV, D-U-Z-E-R TV. But again, if you just put my name into Google, it'll start popping up. Cool. And before we let you go, we do a little rapid fire at the end of our uh, chat. So if you don't mind, let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. (laughs) You got got them all right. (laughs) Yay. In that order. Okay. 80s or 90s music? 80s. 80s. I love the 80s. I've been super nostalgic for the 80s lately. I love it. It's the best decade for music, hands down. Yeah. Have you lost a toenail running? Oh, yes. Many. You're, you're one of those. Hobbling 100. Hobbling 100. At the end of that race, it's dark, and there's so many rocks out there. I've kicked so many rocks because you're not lifting your legs up as high, and that's really what, when it happens to me. It's the only race I've ever been to where they had, I think she called herself the a foot fairy. It was a retired <laughs> nurse. And that's the first yeah. place I went when I stopped that race. I walked right into her booth and I'm like, please, <laughs> please help me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my feet look like hamburger after that race. <laughs> me too. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Tim Hortons or Starbucks? Oh, Tim Hortons all the way. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Another, well, let's say a team sport you'd like to excel in. Mm, it sounds funny, but American football. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. If you if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Ooh, I would go to, I would like to be like uh, the time, like castles. I want to live at the time of castles and, oh. you know, England and horses and 
armor. And I think that's a crazy time. Oh, 500 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so in the time of COVID, when we haven't really been traveling that much, uh, where's the first place you'd like, if assuming you haven't, but outside of the U.S., where's the first place you want to travel to? I would like to go, speaking of England, I want to go to England and ride my bike the length of Great Britain. Wow. I was supposed to go there in 2020, but it obviously didn't happen. Oh, man. (laughs) And I haven't been anywhere international since. So I want to ride the length of Great Britain. That's my first travel whenever I can do that. That would be Please let us know. We may even just uh, fly over and bike some of it with you. Who knows? Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. Wait, there's no more. That was fun. (laughs) You got to get some more videos out there. Like yeah, he doesn't exactly. have enough. Yeah, true. <laughs> thank you so much. No, it was wonderful to meet you. And uh, yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I wish you all the best. And please, please stay in touch. If you are going to come and do the TransCan, we will absolutely do whatever we can to help you out along the way. That'd be cool. I'll let you know for sure. And okay. whenever we're in your town, uh, you have to show us where to get the best bean burritos. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well. And there is a Dozerito at the ca- at the cafe I go to all the time. There's a <laughs> menu gotta... item named after me. No so, way. Uh, we'll Dozerito. I hope you, you get royalties on that. <laughs> uh, no, but a dollar from every burrito goes to a uh, foundation that gets kids on bikes. Wow. Fantastic. That's so great. Cool. What's yeah. the name of the restaurant? Called the Walnut Cafe. And that's in Boulder. That's in Boulder, Colorado. And if you watch a lot of my videos, you see a woman named Dana in there a lot, maybe. Mm-hmm. So Dana owns the Walnut Cafe. Perfect. We'll definitely Love put it. a plug That's on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. Thank you so much, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There you go. Ryan Van Duzer. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not be upbeat listening to that guy? Such a positive influence. Yeah. And he started his channel 15 years ago and i've been watching him for five or six years not even realizing who he is until finally hey you know we just get him on the podcast and then hey you're (laughs) the guy i've been watching all these years (laughs) and i think that's genuinely him too yeah you know what you see on the videos is is what you get is what you get obviously yeah and uh we watched him because we did have alina and then when we watched him because he did leadville but now we're getting a little spark. Maybe we should start biking. Hmm. <laughs> Tandem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because if you know me, you know I'm not a cyclist. <laughs> but there but you I go. like the adventure. Yes, I of like course. I like the idea of the adventure. That's so what that... it's all about. Get off the couch yeah, and part. adventure and travel see. and meeting new people. Yes, it's all it's all there. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Well, that was pretty cool. Cheers. Ooh, that was quite the marathon. Thanks for listening to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Please visit us at gotturunracing.com for more information on our events or simply drop us an email at gotturunracing at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel to stream the video version of this episode. Oh, and if you like my voice, check me out at tylerherchuk.ca. T-Y-L-E-R-H-Y-R-C-H-U-K. Gotta run!